welcome to the third episode of Outside is Overrated. This is Tom Awesome here as always. Joining me today is a new co-host, three episodes, three co-hosts. I'd like to welcome Brian to the show. Thank you for having me on. It's actually pretty impressive that you can put all this stuff on your table. Yeah, well, you know, it's a very high-tech setup that we have. We have a computer, we have an iPad, we have a couple microphones, and uh, one dude in a Nintendo shirt, and I don't know what the hell you're wearing. I'm, I'm very impressed. I'm wearing a, The thing, more people have been asking if I've been lifting weights, the key has been... I think you haven't been. Oh, I'm buying smaller shirts over time. It's like an optical illusion. I should be in a young men's juniors, like, medium here soon. I'm going to look jacked. <laughs> That's beautiful. Now, maybe I drink a little bit too much beer. I don't think that would quite work for me. I think I would come across looking... You know, more pregnant. If you can get more arm hair, you're a dead ringer for Robin Williams. I'm telling you, he's so hot right now. Well, let me inform my wife that we're going to have to start buying Rogaine for my arms. <laughs> so welcome to the show, Brian. I envision you being a regular co-host with me here, with cool. your specialty being video games. Awesome. I like that. So we go back a long time. We've been friends since high school. 10th grade for me, 11th grade for you, I believe. Yep. Not as long as I've known Duhal, longer than I've known Jake, but... Uh, you know, as long as I've known you, you've always been super into video games. One of the few people that's on the same plane as I am, or more obsessed with them than me. It's nice. Just for me, particularly for school and my life and stuff like that, I get a lot of reality. Reality is awesome, but sometimes you don't want to be in it anymore. So some, like video games is a great escape for me. So for me, particularly when it comes to games, things that are, are more fantasy, farther out there, more colorful... Stuff like that. I, I like to maybe have that experience just to kind of get away for a little bit. You have always liked bright colors. I've noticed that about you. I'm, like I said, we have a strong theater background, and there are some characteristics that play into that. Awkward silence as I think about my next thought, and... God bless editing. God bless editing. Well, in the meantime, I mean, one of the, I think, perhaps one of the, the great stories of our youth I will, I will never forget uh, we had run to your house, and this was still early on in our relationship, and you left me in your van, and in a, a moment of sophomore year of high school brilliance... Wait, wait, wait. It wasn't my van. Oh, it was yeah. my parents' van, specifically that's, my mom's van. That's a, that's a key piece of information. So, um, I took it upon myself, being the witty human I am, I wrote pussy wagon across the windshield with my finger, which unfortunately I didn't know would probably show up again once the vehicle heated up. Yeah, and we but, had no idea. Like, I couldn't see it when I walked back in. Like, it was a complete no. surprise until my mom came in one day, rather upset, and asked, why does my windshield <laughs> say pussy wagon? <laughs> and I got straight straight up. I, uh, I was told I'm no longer allowed to be in the family vehicles on my own. And I, I bought your father on, on your bachelor party, bachelor party evening. I bought your dad a beer to bury the hatchet. That was literally... <laughs> Eight months ago, or whatever that was, but I'm like, this beer is for that moment. And he, your your father's a very honorable man. Well, you know, he didn't care. He didn't drive the van. <laughs> so that fun piece of colorful history oh, between God. us. I think it's interesting to tell our listeners that you're a doctor. You have a I very am. important job. You I help am. people, and um, you're still an avid gamer. I am. It shows that we can not only have professional lives and be grown up and do all the shit that comes with being a grown up, but we can also still pay homage to our favorite hobbies. It, but it's, it's such a, a shift in, in people, too. I mean, we're, we're looking at coming up here very shortly. We're going to be electing someone, not obviously this presidential term, but in the near future, we're going to be, we're going to be electing uh, the leader of our country as someone who grew up doing this stuff and probably still does it a little bit here and there. It's, it's just... It's and we a, thought it was cool when the commander-in-chief was into basketball. I know. That's sick layups. Yeah. Ugh. 
So, Ron, what are you playing right now, and what's on your radar for games that you're playing next? Um, right now, I'm playing Uncharted 4. Um, I'm finishing up Majora's Mask 3D on my Nintendo DS. I'm playing Earthbound right now with a group of guys. We instead of a Book of a Month club, we do a Game of the Month club. So we play Brothers together. We play Journey together. We, we just a bunch of dudes. Some have kids, some don't. We just try to put a couple hours in a week. So um, when you say you play them together, you're not actually playing them in the same room, experiencing it all no, together. No, 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 no. Well, we, we, we play them, we, you, you kind of get the experience, and then we have a chat box called Nerds United on, on Google that every day we sit there during our jobs and discuss our new adventure that we're going through. And it's it's a lot of fun to kind of look back and, and see where some of these games you play now kind of started. Earthbound's a great example. I mean, the music to to the art style to everything, it's, it's kind of a fun little nostalgic journey. And who's a part of your game club? Um, my buddy John, uh, John Munch, also known as Big Gay Roommate. We've got uh, Scott Bullard, also known as Crocky. Um, we've got my friend Brandon Casper. And uh, Casper doesn't have a nickname. Um, I don't. It has. It used to be Cheese, but that kind of got played out, so we don't use it too much anymore. Um, and then our my my friend Billy, and we all play it together, and it's it's funny because let's see, John does high end security work for computers. Uh, Scott is doing his own mobile gaming um, design, so he, he's actually built a game, it's, which is a blast. That oh, you'll that's be awesome. Soon. It'd yep. be great to talk to him about we'll, it sometime. He'll be selling it soon. I'll tell you about the process. Uh, Billy does some uh, some different works um, with basically customer service. And then uh, Brandon runs actually the entire, I think it's the entire web campaign for Wheels for Wishes. So so it's a high-functioning group of friends with a diverse so, yeah. skill set. Where do you know these guys from? Uh, Scott goes all the way back to college. So does John. John was my neighbor, and actually we met over video games. John was playing, I think, Marvel versus Capcom 2, and he is such a little bitch because he uses Iceman, and Iceman does not take chip damage. So it was pretty much John running and shooting the entire time. And then uh, Scott happened to be walking by. He was two floors up, met him there. Brandon I met in the fraternity, and um, Billy I met through Scott. So, I mean, that freshman year, a lot of my core friends came from there, and we that Smash Brothers Melee came out that year. Marvel vs. Capcom 2. We, we play a lot of fighting games. Like, Evo is, is kind of like a holiday season for us. We love that high-end play. And it's, it's just amazing to watch someone play a game that you enjoy on a technical level you will never reach. Which is kind of how I feel when I watch Oh, people like, play a lot of different styles of games. Those damn Koreans on StarCraft? It's insanity! <laughs> those damn Koreans. Oh, they, by the way, so Korean players are measured in their ability to think quickly and to move quickly by clicks per minute. An average pro Korean player clicks 300 times per minute. I don't think I do anything 300 times per minute. I don't think I could do anything three time, 300 times per minute. I could probably disappoint my, my wife close to 300 times a minute. I am... Well, my, that's a very unique skill set that you spent a couple of years holding yeah, already. My dad straight up told me, he's like, Brian, find a woman who looks cute and she's disappointed. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, Dave. <laughs> oh, that's beautiful. <laughs> so on today's show, we're going to be talking about Metal Gear. This is the Metal Gear episode. We're going to spend the bulk of our time talking about the history of Metal Gear, walking through the franchise, talking about story points, t- talking about mechanics. Um, and then we're also going to do our review of Metal Gear Solid Five. Brian has completed it. I've played maybe eight to nine hours of it which didn't get me nearly as far as I thought. Um, But this is going to be a heavy Metal Gear episode. If you have thoughts that you'd like to share on Metal Gear or any of our other episodes, check out our website at outsideisoverrated.com, or you can reach us on email, myself and all the co-hosts, at overratedpod at gmail.com. That's overratedpod at gmail.com. 
Or you can hit me up on Twitter at twitter.com slash Tom underscore underscore awesome. Ron, anywhere people can hit you up? Anywhere on the internet that you're comfortable disclosing? Absolutely not, Tom. There's some, there's some sites, but you need to input your credit card information to get past a, an age verification wall, but it's not a big deal. Not a big deal. Well, with that, let's launch into some Metal Gear. So my, my first foray into the world of Metal Gear, I believe, was Sons of Liberty, um, which was... PlayStation uh, 2. PlayStation 2. And the, the only reason I knew about it was because Zone, Zone of Enders had come out, and Zone of Enders was packaged with the demo for that game. Which uh, is a long-lost art right now. I mean, how, how are kids today going to... Well, they're just going to download the demos because everything's online. But pretty much. In our history in our perspective it was really cool to get those demos packed in like i remember playing the demo to resident evil 2 i don't even remember what game it was packed in with but it was mind-blowing it's like the only chance you had to play these games before it mm-hmm. came out and some of these demos were better than the actual game and the reason like i didn't, I didn't care about zone the ender if my friends liked it that's cool but i i had to go to a store and i had to rent the demo disc i had to rent this thing. And honestly, it was a huge demo. Um, Which also, I guess, kind of dates us, because kids today are going to be like, what's a rental store? Yeah, that's fair. You mean, is that like Netflix? It blows my day. Look, Blockbuster had a chance to buy Netflix, and it didn't. So they <laughs> they, uh, they created their own grave. Oh, somebody's kicking themselves over that. Um, so I got, I started with that one, and then from there, I mean, I, I actually, I kind of went backwards. So I wound up playing Twin Snakes for the GameCube, and then I went even farther back, and I played Metal Gear Solid 1, and I played the third. Metal Gear, actually the first Metal Gear Solid, so Snake. Um. Was that hard? Because Metal Gear tells kind of a consecutive story. All the games tie together, and it's a continuing narrative. But the timeline is actually is, is still getting flushed out. Metal Gear Solid Five is actually, the, it, it, in some ways, is the beginning of the timeline for a lot of different things because it takes place in 1984. Some of the portable ops, I believe, even go farther back than that. A snake Eater, which was actually three, is the initial. I mean, that's where you, you first encounter the person that will become Big Boss. Kind of a little bit of background on, on the history itself. I mean, Metal Gear Solid, Metal Gear came out. For I have the, to interrupt you for a second. I had no idea you had a tattoo. Yep. So, Until the very end. Did you get that for your wife? Uh, yes. And actually, so my wife and I, in case anyone has any interest, my wife is also a doctor. And when I met my wife, undiagnosed bipolar. So if you want to know about absolute uh, uh, madness, that's that's one way to describe it. And she was really good at hiding it from her family. She couldn't hide it from me because I was around her all the time. And um, we had gotten to the point about a year into this thing where I'm like, look, it, I can't do this. I can't stay with you if this is the case because I cannot watch something I love so much completely destroy itself. And if you want torture, that's a good way to describe it. And being this, her personality is something that's just insane to me because she's a very humble woman. But her mentality on everything is, you know what, I'm just going to go do this. And I'm like, if we don't take care of this, I can't do it. And she's like, fine. For a year, she goes to a psychologist, she goes to a psychiatrist, she gets herself completely organized, and she probably is the most successful person I personally know. So, we are both huge Harry Potter nerds. I actually gave her a golden snitch as a gift one time for Christmas. And, um, was it made out of real gold? Uh, no, it was a ping pong Come on, ball, man, why'd you mail it in? I got, Come I got on, cheap Brian, on it. You I'm can... sorry. You're a doctor. You can buy a goddamn you real realize The only things I own in my life are my 2009 Pontiac and my cats. That's really everything to my name. And when you put those on a bank statement, you look kind of pathetic. Um, but in Harry Potter, at one point before Harry goes off to, to basically die, he knows he's going to. He talks with his mother and he's talking with his dead family members about what it's like to die. And he asks his mom, he's like, are you going to be with me? And she goes, I will be with you until the very end. So... 
a long time as the story went on here, my wife has it tattooed across her upper trap, and then I have it on the inside of my arm. Oh, that's beautiful. I know, that got a lot more serious than it should have been. So, yeah, so back to Metal Gear. Video games, right? <laughs> Let's talk about androids and robots. Um, so Metal Gear, Metal Gear came out like mid '80s, and it was such a it was such an unusual game. Um, Hideo Kojima at this point was relatively unknown. He had done some work with Nintendo <laughs> on uh, it was some weird penguin game. It's like Antarctic Adventure or some something like that. And he, he convinced them to do something completely different because in the mid '80s, I mean, this is Contra, this is Ikaruga Warriors. I mean, these are games where you go out and you just murder anything that moves. Nathan Drake style, right? Which Nathan Drake? That's a very questionable man because in a lot of cases, he's murdering innocent people. Those security guards in these games, these are guys with families, and he's out there murdering them. And well, he's, he's still a good he's, guy. He's charming. People like him, so he's witty. Well, I mean, yeah. I'm pretty sure that because of that, that wit factor and those gorgeous good looks, I mean, he gets by on somehow. With with Metal Gear, Kojima was able to talk with, um, I believe it was the folks that were running the MSX uh, system in Japan. Which I'd never heard of before. I didn't even know it existed. But, but Japan, it's, I mean, you know, Japan is usually about four years in the future anyway. So no wonder they had nine games. It probably was 64-bit at the time. He convinced them to do a stealth game. He's like, what if we had to sneak around things, which is totally foreign. And it was very, very different. It was very story-driven, which also wasn't all that common. Well, it's hard to tell a good story with the 8-bit platform as well. You're extremely limited. In particular, too. I mean, when we look at things now, like, say, even, like, say, on a codec call, stuff like that, where it has the person's face you're talking to and their text, I mean, that wasn't even thought of at the time. I mean, these are, these are very simple things to know who's even talking that we didn't think about. The game was actually quite successful. Um, what wound up happening following that... That's the second time I've been interrupted on this podcast by the coffee machine. That's okay. The worst things they could, could yell at us. Um, like penis! Just slaying yourself. <laughs> just slaying yourself. Um, <laughs> oddly enough, uh, Metal Gear Solid 2 came out, which was called uh, Snake's Revenge, and Kojima wasn't even involved in it, which is kind of odd. I mean, he's he, we all look at it now as this, this super I iconic director, but for whatever reason, he wasn't involved in this one. And it's a weird game. Like, it's... It's kind of stealthy. The, the color palette's ugly as shit. If you've seen it, it's like hideous. Snake went from a camouflage jumper to a bright orange. Outfit. Yeah, yeah. Very sneaky in the blaze orange. It, clearly, he's deer hunting for three fourths of the mission. The box cover was actually ripped directly from James Cameron's Terminator. Like, I'm pretty sure that's some sort of copyright violation, but they took it verbatim. Game didn't do too great, which moved into Metal Gear Solid Two: Snake's Revenge um, or Snake's Revenge: uh, Solid Snake. Basically, Kojima said, "Let's." kind of start this over because this was such a shit show we need to kind of cleanse the palate. He came back to it, it was released, and actually this game didn't get released in the United States until early 2000s, I think. It was a downloadable content kind of thing. Which was more than 15 years after it debuted. Yeah. And the part that's so crazy about it is they were already <laughs> investing concepts that would become important to us in, in the PS1 Metal Gear Solid because like they had active, they had active radar. They had. They actually showed the cones of vision in a small mini map in the corner of the map. This is 15 years ago. This is Nintendo Entertainment oh, System. This is 30 years ago, should I say? But that's just amazing to me. And again, it was it was a game for people that you you could sneak around. There's alert statuses, all sorts of goofy stuff that was so unique to itself. Um, and the, the NES games. I mean, there wasn't a ton of history to it to me. But the part that's the, the part that is odd, these games didn't get touched again until PS1. 
Which is crazy. Another thing that I thought was interesting with the early Metal Gear games, specifically the Nintendo Entertainment System versions, was that the games were changed with localization. Like in the first game, Metal Gear Solid, the Japanese version, the final bosses, you're fighting an actual Metal Gear. You're taking on the mech, you have to destroy the mech. For the U.S., it was actually changed to a supercomputer. Yeah, and you're like, what's the point in the change? Yeah, it's like, what? Well, why don't they change the title of the game to supercomputer solid or some bullshit that... Like number munchers. It's essentially number munchers. I defeated that stupid little fricker... I, oh my god, I just censored myself on a podcast. Fucker. That was like jumping around eating the number seven. Like, it's it's so stupid. There's no reason that they needed to do it. Yeah, um, so I don't know if they thought the U.S. audience wasn't into giant robots or if it was too strange a concept, but it just seems so weird that they changed the end boss in a game when the end boss is what the entire game is named after. The franchise is named after. Yeah. So, uh, by the way, if, if you guys have not played Metal Gear, what a Metal Gear essentially is, it's a huge mobile robot that is able to fire off nukes. Obviously, these games came out uh, amid the Cold War, and nuclear nuclear war was still a huge concept. That, so that's what's supposed to make these Metal Gears so terrifying, is they are huge, they are extremely mobile, and you can pretty much nuke anybody anywhere you want, because you can get in range. Was, the, uh, was Metal Gear revolutionary for introducing mechs to gaming? I don't know. Um, I know there's some really popular Mac PC games in the late 80s, 90s. I know that there was a popularity there. I never really got into them, so I don't really know the scene. Well, the, the question, I guess, would be, what, is it, what do you define as a Mac? Because, I mean, if we go far back enough, we could argue that Master Blaster, badass soundtrack, I think, was that Capcom? I don't know. I never played it. Oh, my God. It was awesome. I don't have um, an NES, so. so Sega is my background. Again. Specifically John Madden football. Robots there. I guess I guess it would just really depend on, on the scene of it. But um, to me, a mech is a giant pilotable robot with weapon capabilities. Which is, okay, which is fair. I would say maybe it introduced it to a greater concept, but for the love of God, I mean, Japan was, was going ape over, um, was it Neon? Oh, I always screw this up, but Scott yelled at me for it. Neon. That's all right. Neon. If we screw something up factually, we'd love to hear about it. Just shoot us an email at, at Tom overrated. underscore underscore awesome. He will deal with all of your little pissy problems. Because if you're listening to us, you probably don't have a lot going on. And I'm sure that you're writing down all the errors. Well, shoot us an email at overratedpod <laughs> at gmail.com. <laughs> Subject line, fools. Yes. Overratedpod at gmail.com. But I mean, Japan has like, been the, the champions of gigantic mechs forever. That whole country, they could have an earthquake right now, and it would probably set their country back to, like, 2030. That's that's probably what would happen in the country of Japan. Little country, giant robots. Yeah, it's, they're, just, they're, <clears throat> they're just so industrious. They're so, so industrious. Coming back to Metal Gear, a lot of people didn't have the opportunity to play Metal Gear Solid 2 Snake Eater until it was re-released as, I think, A, downloadable content, but B, I think yeah. it was also packaged with Metal Gear Solid. It, it might have been. I didn't play it there. I wound up having to download it, and I wound up playing it off, I believe, the Wii. It's, it's, it was a lot of fun, but like, I think where the franchise, where, where it really started to get wild and really started, I mean, it was different to begin with, but it, it started to build core concepts and games was once it moved into Metal Gear Solid, and, and that's obviously on the PS1, uh, Kojima chose that specifically because of the hardware. And this was a revolutionary game for the time. I remember playing it when it first came out and being just blown away at mm -hmm. A, how cinematic it was, which probably isn't the term I would have used back in the day. We didn't know any better. And, and how many games do that now where it's... It's, it's, it's expected. It's, it's the industry standard. And I think 
Metal Gear Solid invented so many things, or the Metal Gear franchise invented so many things that are now industry standards mm-hmm. that I think it's completely underrated in its place in gaming history. I think I think Kojima is respected heavily because of his idea on how to start to weave storylines and gameplay. I mean, there's 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 parts seriously of Metal Gear Solid where I think it's like a twenty minute cutscene, three minutes of playing, another twenty minute cutscene. I mean, that's insanity, um, it, and it got even more heavy during. Um, um, Sons of or uh, uh, Sons of Liberty, but it's it's interesting too because David Hayter, I love David Hayter. Hayter is the voice of Solid Snake. I mean, there's there's live voice acting too, which I thought was super cool. You're saying you're not a hater, hater? No, I'm not a hater, hater. And and it's interesting too. I don't know he's a writer. I mean, he worked on X Men, X Men Two. He worked on Scorpion King, the cinematic thriller that that was. I think it was what won two Oscars that year. I think The Rock took home Best Actor and Best uh, Human Scorpion Hybrid. It was that's when The Rock was a wrestler, not. An actor or just an entertainment figure. Uh, I believe the, the term you're looking for, he was the most electrifying man in sports. I could never smell what The Rock was cooking. I hated The Rock at the height of his popularity. Oh my god, have you ever seen pictures of his dad? No. He's huge jacked man. The Rock's genetics are just insanity. They have to be. For it. His dad's like six foot four, even 260, rippling muscles. It's like pretty much who I would turn into if I became like fully enraged. He was a, just an amazing lineage. But he's, he's black and Samoan. And it's it's just it's, it's this crazy like wasn't his grandfather a wrestler too? I think he's don't like remember. third generation. I read his bio. Yeah, he's third generation, I think, which is an, it, crazy to think about. But going back to to Metal Gear Solid, um, it it had so many really cool things, and I think everybody that plays it is always gonna go back to maybe the Psycho Mantis fight because the game was like actually you know fourth wall breaking, which is kind of weird at the time. It was also a revolutionary concept that hadn't been done before in gaming. Another mind-blowing moment brought to you by it, it screws with you. It means to screw with you. It's like, one, he moves so fast you can't beat him. And unless you realize that you need to plug your controller into port two. And how, how do we know that? This was before the internet was even that big. Like, I don't remember how we possibly figured out that we had to move the controller into the other that part. Was, that was insane. And then it, it's reading your memory card. Um, it would cause your controller to move through telepathic ability by making it rumble. I remember points to that game where it even told you to reset the game, and it's just like this is this is kind of too much for me to deal with because, as we all know, we've all been that kid who was playing a game you didn't hit your save point, and a sibling f's with your system, and suddenly you're back five hours. I mean, that's that's why it was nice to be the youngest. Like my siblings weren't really into video games; they never messed with my files. I never had younger people around that didn't understand the importance of saving things correctly and not overwriting files and blah blah so I got off pretty easy being the youngest. You, right. I know, have younger brothers. And the boys, my brothers are pretty good. They're, they're avid gamers. The boys, now. they're men now, Brian. They're men. So we they, they, they wail on me in, in Smash nowadays. I used to take them two to one in uh, in Melee and now in Smash 4 they're wiping the floor with me. But my dad, And now you have to take random dudes two to one. It's just like prom. So my, my dad... Like, my dad was 44 when my brothers were born, and so my brothers are 12 years younger than me. They're, like, the best form of birth control someone could conceive of, and... Does that mean you're never going to have kids? Uh, we're, we're talking about that, actually. We'll, we'll get into that conversation later. My, my dad was 44, so by the time the boys were, like, 50... By the time the boys were, like, 10 to 15, dad was, like, in his 50s, and dad, he, dad was a little tired. He was tired of raising children, to be totally honest, I think. And um, he didn't know how to punish them properly. Oh, Christ, he had to deal with you. No, I was, you have two older sisters. I was, I was pretty sister good. Is how many years older? Abby is five years older than me. Beth is two years younger than me. I'm, I'm a pretty so, good kid. I never had too much trouble. Some of the boys. Yeah, well, you're kind of a dick. 
Um, you are very, very bright, though. I'll give you that. I did one time leave you to pay a bill at Pizza Hut because you're being an asswipe. So I will, I will, I will offer that as is. Yeah, like I said, you're, you are a total dick. So um, dad was dad was having trouble punishing the boys, and you know you can spank them, you can do different things, and, and nothing was registering with them. You could spank them in that era. Noel, yeah, but uh, my dad had a spanking spoon. Like their names were wood carved, like wood burned on it. You knew who your spoon was, and. And Dad didn't know what to do, and I'm like, "Yeah, here's the deal: go start going into their game files." And this is kind of mean to gamers, but I know how to. I know soft spots, and I'm like, you know, if they're playing Kingdom Hearts, go in, find the one that has the biggest time member. I explain how to read the, the amount of time played. I'm like, if they keep screwing around, delete the file. Brian, I'm not sure you should have kids. Yeah, I'm. I'm telling you, I'm gonna punish them with the. I, I'm waiting with anticipation to punish my child. I feel like it's an innate talent I have. And you I keep a list wait. of ways that you can get back at your future children? I, I believe in the Bolton method of uh, raising a child. Oh, Lord. Uh, yeah. After our conversation of Met- <laughs> or not Metal Gear, but Game of Thrones on the last episode. That's uh, very topical. Oh, my God. So, again, with, with getting back, I mean, we're jumping all over, but it's just been a fun conversation. I miss talking with you like this. So, one... There's actually a lot of fan. There's a lot of fan thoughts out there that one is actually so Metal Gear Solid is actually a remake of of Snake's Revenge, which was which was two in a non Kojima production on the MSX. Um, and the reason being was a couple different things. Um, there is there's a, there's a rocket battle with a chopper. It's it's verbatim in both games. There's an elevator ambush where you're fighting multiple dudes at one time. Same kind of thing. You meet a female spy in the ladies' room. You have a, you have someone keep popping up in your codec telling you that they're they're Snake's biggest fan. And uh, these are all exact portions of, of two Snake's Revenge that kept popping up in this. So I think it was kind of Kojima's way of maybe hitting the reset button totally. But I and mean, polishing a product that he wasn't involved with in the first. Right. Episode. And this, this, I mean, Metal Gear Solid changed so many things. And when you look back on it, you can see where there's, there's lots of core concepts they took from this series that wound up being, like, as you said, it's, it's a staple across the industry. It's just... His vision and his foresight and his willingness to do something at the time that was really risky. Because, I mean, people may not have accepted this the way they did. Because sometimes games come along too early. Who does Dan, man? Yeah, so with that, we're going to launch into a conversation about the most recent game, Metal Gear Solid V, The Phantom Pain, and review our thoughts on it. How far are you into this thing? Only like eight hours. I completed episode six. Not deep. Deep enough to know that it's fucking amazing. Okay, yeah, five, I mean, four was a big step away from the move to point A to B and try to be quiet about it. Because in four, you could start mowing down people. Five, five, they just completely said, hey, you know what? We're going to make this fairly open world. And what we're going to be doing is you you decide how you want to do it. If you want to go on an attack chopper to wind up running um, some sort of interference while you sneak around the back end, fantastic. Oh my God, by the way, if you have it on PC, if you do, I'm so jealous because you can actually attach through an audio file any song you want to play when the chopper comes in. Two best ones I've ever seen. One... A guy pulls it in. What's John Cena's, like, intro song? I have no idea. Whatever that thing is, they play that, which is, one, that's money. But the absolute best, a guy is sitting there waiting, and all you hear quietly is America, fuck yeah, start to begin. Chopper comes over, gonna save the motherfucking world. Yeah, bombs are going off everywhere. It's just the best. And I really wish you could do it on console. But that's, I don't think you could pick a better song. I think that's it. I agree. 
I knew that I was going to do this Metal Gear Solid podcast for a while, and I knew that I was going to have to play the game, and I had heard that it was good, and my buddy Eric is super duper into it, and he tried to get me to play it, and he showed me a little bit, and I was like, oh yeah, that looks kind of neat. I finally bought the game, and I was dragging my feet going into it, and after playing... Guns of the Patriots. Guns of the Patriots. I didn't have high expectations going in. Like, I thought it would be fine, I thought I'd play it, I thought that cramming as much as I could into Thursday night, Friday night, Saturday during the day would be enough to give me... A solid foundation for talking about Metal Gear Solid. And you'd have eight podcast. minutes of playtime during that entire thing. The rest would be cutscenes. Yeah, that's pretty much what I expected. <laughs> oh my god, Metal Gear Solid Five is unbelievable. Yes, I can't even ex- fully express how jacked I am for this game. Like to me, it is by far my favorite game on the consoles right mm-hmm. now. You know, I'm only five percent complete with it, but I'm wondering if it's going to be my favorite game of all time. That's how excited I am for an open-world stealth game that I've put maybe eight hours into so far and completed 5%. Mm. I know that you enjoyed the hell out of this game. What were your thoughts and expectations going into 5? Going Okay, so 4, four I, I agree with you. I think 4 was, was really heavy on cutscenes and story, and I think actually that Kojima Productions got the memo in it because in in 5, yeah, is there cutscenes? Yeah. Are they super long? Some can be a little bit long, but dominantly most of them are a lot shorter. And what you find is that a lot of the stories revealed through those audio tapes. Which is interesting. Like, you don't even have to listen to them. Like, you can conceivably go this entire game without listening to a single audio file and mm-hmm. miss the whole story. Like, I just happened to kind of stumble across them while I was dinking around in the menus getting ready to go out last night. And I'm like, oh, well, here's why I was in the hospital. Here is the state of the world while I was in the hospital for nine years, years. This and this. It's like, that's a lot of context for what's happening. And it's really useful, too, because you can play most of those audio files as you're playing. It just plays over the audio as you're in. Game. I had no idea. I was just yep. listening to it while I was on the helicopter thinking, well, this is really interesting, but I'd rather be playing a mission. Nope. You can play it during the game so that you can be playing and getting story. And I think that's a huge step in the right direction. Yeah, it's almost like they ripped it out of Bioshock. It seems like a great way to tell the story. So I'm 5% in. I'll give a quick overview of where I am, and then, Brian, you can talk more about what happens in the game. For anyone that's interested in playing it and hasn't yet, Brian's going to be covering a lot of spoilers. Yeah, a ton. The thing that I like most about Metal Gear Solid V is I feel like I've been able to kind of attack it the way I want to. Like, I can be sneaky, I can use my guns if I need to, but I feel like the stealth mechanics are so well-refined over any other stealth game I've ever played. And just running around the world, trying not to be seen, shooting at my trank gun... The Fulton Recovery System, which is this wonderful system they brought back from a handheld Metal Gear game that we're not even going to talk about in this podcast. Now, hold on. Now, what Batman movie features the Fulton Recovery System? Dark Knight, isn't it? Yep. That's it. So when the when the bomber jet flies over and grabs that dude out of the building, that essentially is it. Which is an actual CIA yeah, tactic they used it. the real world, and they adopted it for the game. And essentially what this allows you to do is it allows you to recruit new people for your base, for your operations... And by recruit, it means you either choke them out or you shoot them in the face with a trank. You attach them to a balloon, you suck them out, you drag them back to the base, and then suddenly they become your buddies. Brainwash. Yes. Brainwash. Just so like a, all your real good friends. It's a little ridiculous, but I'm having the best time just shipping people back to the base. And it's not just people. Like, I was walking up to a base, and I'm like, oh, here's a dog. And, oh, I have the Fulton Recovery System thing. So I'm like, well, sorry, pooch. Strap on the uh, balloon. Zoop, back to the base. Yeah, he makes a little yelping sound, and Phoenix is like, why on earth did you do that? Like, why do you have to harm that dog? I'm like, honey, I'm recruiting. I need a real diamond dog. I need a real diamond dog. And I, from what I've seen in the future of the game, the dog actually becomes a playable companion, or becomes mm-hmm. a vital part yeah, of the story. He's, he's passive radar, so, so companions my, are, are quite prominent in this game. 
So my first eight hours in the game, I don't have any companions yet. I have a horse. I've upgraded some equipment. I've recruited a bunch of guys. I've got a handful of missions. And I've faced some undead. And um, I don't know. I am completely enthralled with the game. It's They went in a, a very different direction. So they, they did open world. There's no longer A to B. And A to B can be a, a thousand different directions, which is amazing. They also introduced, like Tom said, the... Before we move on, let's just talk about the open world concept for a minute. Because that is another first for the series. Yeah. Before, everything was screen-based or level-based, or you're always in a contained area. You had different tools you could use to achieve tasks, but you're always in a very set place. Like here, outside of some very broad mission zones, once you select what you're going to attack, you're free to move around Afghanistan as you see fit. And it's 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 cool because what you can do in a lot of cases, you're going to find a perch, look over a city, and you're going to start mapping things out, which gives you a multitude of ways of, of, of approaching things. I mean, you can run distractions. You can you can either go in guns blazing, or you can just quietly go in and start taking people out left and right. You can even send in a jeep, jump out of it, put some C4 in it, detonate it. While they go look at that, you go steal the person you're supposed to get. There's a billion ways to do it. And I was having fun early on. I was trying to uh, do an optional objective on one of the first missions, and I was in this base trying to get this commander, and I kept getting discovered, and it got me a little frustrated. So I was up on a hill scouting it out, and I'm like, oh, there's a mortar right here. Well, I've had enough of this stealth bullshit. Yep. And so I just bombed the hell out of the entire base, killed like everybody, and then I'm trying to sneak up to where the commander's hanging out. He just runs out at me, so I shoot him in the face with the train, zip him out with the balloon, zoop, and uh, boom, I win. Mm-hmm. Yep, and it's the, the only thing that I, I feel like I could be, that I, I would criticize about their open world concept is in between outposts, I feel like it's barren. You you will very rarely encounter, say, a, a militarized truck or a... Well, there's the stupid trucks that go along the road, so like, you have to it. find back roads into each one of the missions, otherwise yep. you're going to be discovered on the road and you won't get the bonus, bonus for total stealth. Yeah, and if you but if you run across the terrain, you really don't encounter too much. It is, it, it is empty out there. That's the only issue I would say that I have with anything. A cool thing with the structure for the game is you're allowed to attack missions in kind of whatever order you want. Like mm-hmm. when you start, after you do the tutorial mission, you get, I think, six missions open up and you can do number two next, you can do three, you can do four, five, six, and you kind of have a little flexibility in how yeah, you absolutely. attack things. And the side missions help too because you're still always building towards your forward operating base. You know, that's the main base with which Snake builds. And the reason the base is important there's multiple categories with which you can level up. Now, some of these things will help you with future missions. The more you level up that base, the easier the game gets. Like, particularly when it comes to research and development, you're developing more things in regards to better weapons, faster, faster potent recoveries, all these kinds of things. It's a really cool concept. In my review of Dragon Age Origins on OutsidersOverrated.com, one of the things that I thought was way blown out of proportion in that game was how the base impacted the game. Like, as you recruit new people, you're supposed to be unlocking be able to unlock new things for your base, new cosmetic things, new facilities. And I thought the impact of it was way, way overrated, overstated. Mm-hmm. And I think it's the complete opposite in Metal Gear Solid Five. I think the base building component is extremely addictive right out of the gate. Like yeah. every person you zip out on the Fulton recovery system becomes your ally and starts working in the base and you get assigned to different teams and lock different things. And it's a really, really interesting and fulfilling game mechanic to just work on building the base by. And once you get some of those specialists, like the weapons specialist, any gun that you get, some of these pieces fit together. So you can build customized rifles. You can build a trank rifle way earlier than you're supposed to get one. By oh, using that's awesome. I can't oh. even imagine having a trank rifle. No. I'd never be discovered again. Nope. I got a sniper rifle with a silencer on it. It actually uses assault rifle cartridges. So you get 20 shots and it's semi-automatic. I also have an undercarriage mount, a key mount for a uh, tranquilizer grenade. Um, for a smoke grenade. So basically, you have two weapons at once. These things get to be insane. Story of the game is in... Oh, I love... Okay, the biggest plot twist ever in this game, which is it's fantastic, is you find out at the very end of this game, you are let's, not... 
let's just start with a quick overview of the okay. beginning. You wake up in a hospital, you play a prologue, you've been in a coma for nine years, and uh, some figure helps you escape a hotel. Psycho Man Ishmael. is there. Ishmael. And he calls you Ahab, I thought. He called Ahab is the name of the show. There are Moby Dick references. Yes. I've never read the novel, so I'm not entirely familiar, but I recognize the name. So you escape this hospital, you find out you've been in a coma for nine years, and then you get uh, sucked back to Mother Base, and you rescue someone and then you're running around afghanistan well, that's about where i'm at yeah and you wind up you're dragging your malnourished ass through a freaking hospital and you hold up quite well in hand-to-hand combat i'm amazed you're chased by a man on fire who repeatedly shows up and he's assisted by a little telekinetic guy which becomes psychomanus in time anyone that's played the past games knows that yeah. psychomanus like if now, you played solid you know it's psychomanus yeah and now man on fire is actually volgan from three so that's an important thing to remember too he's brought back in some capacity now, you go through all this game, and at the very end, the part that just blows your mind is you're not actually playing a snake. The, the character that you're playing as is named Punished Venom Snake, okay? But they're calling him Punished Venom in the credits for each of the episodes, which each mission is called an episode. Yeah, and and what you find out is it's it's someone, it, it's a medic from Ground Zero, which was the demo that came out, and Ground Zero was 30 hours of gameplay itself. It was almost like the, the, the um, Sons of Liberty demo was just so in-depth. And you find out that the medic that wound up um, protecting Snake, or Snake, Big Boss in this case, from a, from an explosion. That's who you're playing as. They they change his face. They, they wound up putting him, he wasn't, he was in a coma due to it, and through hypnotherapy, he thinks that he's boss. And their idea is to make the legend even bigger, because now they have two bosses going at once. The difference between the two, obviously, is that true Big Boss has his arm. Venom Boss basically has, he has, he's amputated, I think, his left arm from the, from the elbow down. It's, it's a prosthetic. And it's, that is actually going to be the bad guy in Metal Gear Solid, the initial game, or Metal Gear, not Solid, excuse me, this is for NES, the first Metal Gear game, that is the boss that dies at the end of that game, because he goes off the deep end. So this is Metal Gear Solid by The Phantom Pain is actually the prequel to the original. Yep. This shit is mind-blowing. It's so hard to keep all the Snake Eater, so. Snake Eater was three that came first. Following that was um, Phantom Limb. Following that was, I want to say, Metal Gear Solid, then Sons of Liberty, and then I think it became Metal Gear Solid 1, and then, or Metal Gear 1, and Metal Gear 2. So and we'll move back to the timeline in the last segment of this podcast. Yeah. But sticking with Metal Gear yeah, Solid 5, uh, talk about some of the companions you get, what they do, and how you unlock them in the game. Okay, so the dog, um, um, Didi. Didi is, is a wolf pup, and it basically you have to bring him back to your base, and then after he's there for a bit, he'll grow up to full maturity, and he's basically passive radar. As you as you do missions with these dogs, not the sign missions, uh, or companions for me, should I say, when you do these, these chapters, you actually build a larger relationship with your companion, which can be the horse, quiet, uh, D-walker, or it can be DD the dog. And as you build a better relationship, their abilities with you increase. So like, is it important then to rotate them through so that you're building the relationships with everyone? Or do you find someone you like and stick with them and max out their stuff? I wind, I, I maxed everything. It, it's going to be something where you can max everybody out if you want to. Um, DD winds up being passive radar. So even if you can't see him, DD marks him for you. And that can actually get up to 150 meters, I believe, when he's at his full ability. Oh, which, wow. Yeah, you can send him in to kill things, shock things. He's very powerful. The horse. Yeah, the horse, when you max out your horse. Um, he runs really fast? He can shit. Not even joking. You can you poop in the middle of the road, and when a Jeep hits it, it'll spin out. Everybody's unconscious, and you can lift the whole freaking thing right out, and you got four new soldiers. That's beautiful. Uh, quick side note on the first, I think it was the uh, first 
mission. You have to escape from some guys, and you're on the horse. And uh, I had missed the part of the tutorial where they show the horsey run button. So you're running from the skulls. The uh, skulls. The skulls. And uh, you're supposed to just outrun them with the horse. Isn't but it I didn't square. It's a weird yeah. button that doesn't yeah, make sense. It's a face button, and like I was, I tried different routes, and I tried this and that to get by them, and I was so frustrated. I was just about ready to look it up online. And I'm like, I bet it's something stupid like there's a horsey run button. And yeah, there's a horsey run button. And I just outrun them and complete the mission. And like, oh, well, I'm a big dumb idiot. Is that when you had Miller on the back of it? Yeah. You can actually avoid all of them together. If you don't go to that first landing zone to your left of the city, if you go to the one that would be um, maybe just down the road, like 200 meters, you can go to that site. It'll never trigger the skulls. It's an instant S ranking. Huh. Fascinating. I knew that there was a mission or a submission plot where you get a bonus for avoiding the skulls. I had mm -hmm. no idea how you do it. That's interesting. So Quiet is a, she's a sniper and she's actually what's called a, a photosynthetic being. She's actually the second one that you're going to encounter in the series of Metal Gear um, with it. The first one was the end. Basically, they don't have to eat. They just need water and the sunlight. That's why she, the, supposedly she's running around practically naked, which, you know what, if we can logic that into the game, great. There's boobs. Hooray for boobies. Boobies. Um, so... I'd that, like to point out that we're grown-ups. Yes. Yeah, 33. She's she's a sniper, and she's more what we would consider to be a, a, an active radar. So you can actually bring her to an outpost. You can set her to go off in front of you. She moves very fast, and she'll scout it for you. So by the time you arrive, everybody's already marked. Um, you can also have her start taking down people. And once once you have her particular a trench rifle... It's she'll she'll beat entire missions by herself. Huh. It's it's almost broken. You encounter her in a certain fight uh, in one of the chapters, and there's a couple ways. You can, either, you can either beat her the main way, which is just hide and shoot at her when you see her her sniper scope. B, what I wound up doing is you can call in an airdrop for a gun. You put it on top of her, and two hits to the head knocks her unconscious, um, which was awesome. There's a second round fight of later on missions where you have to do hardcore versions of the previous ones. And with that one, it was almost impossible until I brought a tank in, booked my ass into a tank, and then I just blew her ass up. There's no other way I could figure out how to do it. You get tanks in the game? You can Fulton out any vehicle. So as you get better and better... Oh, you, man, I got to yeah. boost my Fulton. Like, I was just able to take weapons, and I it, thought that was pretty bad. Eventually, you'll be able to wormhole, which basically it's going to be like you teleport the thing out, which means you can take things with a roof over it, which is nice. Then the third one is D Walker. D Walker is like a little mobile, almost like a Metal Gear little tank, and he's he's a useful little guy. He talks like R2D2, R2 uh, and he can be in sentry mode, where like he protects you, or he, he's quite mobile, so he's he's nice to have around. It sounds like a very interesting stable of companions. Touch on a couple of the key points of the story. Biggest one, uh, again, initially, you're, you're harassed by this man on fire for a long time. You're trying to build your, your base, and during that time, you're going to encounter a guy named Emmerich, which is Otacon's dad, a guy named Hal Emmerich. And Hal... Who the hell is Otacon again? Otacon is, like, Snake's geeky buddy, like, that helps him out. He was big in Metal Gear Solid 4, right? Yeah, that's him. So that's that's a, a portion of his meeting this gentleman and developing that relationship. But as the game goes on, you're going after a guy named Skullface, and essentially what you're trying to do is prevent a, a ton of really aggressive, dangerous technological info getting out into the universe, and that's what you're doing. And the game the game does shift kind of dramatically after you find out that Snake is not Snake. I mean, not Snake. I guess it's big boss. It's big boss. It's not who we're actually playing as. It, it introduces the small portions of a lot of characters. There's a, there's a young boy named Eli you're going to encounter during gameplay. Eli grows up to be Liquid Snake. That's Eli. And Eli is basically 
He's the he's leading a group of, of child soldiers. In this game, by the way, they, they go into some really uncomfortable material. They go into child soldiers. You go into areas where it's children with guns. Huh. And this was not very well received, just because, again, it, it's a really touchy subject. The game will end if you kill one. I mean, they're pretty strict on those rules, which is fair, I guess. Children soldiers um, dealing with those kinds of things. Uh, genocide. I mean, there's... There's a, the main component of this game is there's a plague that's being developed where when you speak a certain language, this parasite winds up causing people to die. And what they want to do is they, they gear these parasites to certain languages, say it's English, say it's French, and when you speak it, it murders the entire population. That's the whole point of it. Wow, that's terrifying. It's pretty brutal. What an interesting and terrifying concept. Yeah, so it's, I mean, it's it's really, really well done. I mean, they go into a lot of ways of a bit, basically ethnic cleansing. That's kind of what they're, they're getting at when they talk about these kinds of subjects. And watching, at one point, Snake's base gets, gets infected with it. And you were left with the task trying to figure out how is this spreading. And what you'll eventually find is if you look through deeply enough, you will see that everybody that speaks a certain language is being infected. You go through all your soldiers, you quarantine those men, and you've got it locked off in your own days. Interesting. Eight hours in, I'm enamored by the gameplay. Does it hold up through the course of the entire game? And how many hours would you estimate that you put into Metal Gear Solid 5? I probably put in well over 80, and yeah, it holds up pretty well. The only part that I have any issue with is that to unlock some of the extremely high-end things, some of it, the game wants you just to put in a certain amount of time and a certain amount of materials, and it's, it is labor-intensive if you want to do it that way. If you do the online component where you're actually breaking into other people's operating bases and stealing your shit... That speed of the process dramatically, but I'm really crappy at stealth, so I've maybe only taken one base ever. But what does that entail? I have no idea what aspect of the game that is. I'm okay, so basically, what you can do is you can go onto someone else's forward operating base, and you can just start stealing their shit. You can steal their nukes, which is, by the way, the game kind of has this thing called, it's like demon snake versus good snake. So if you're developing nuclear bombs, if you're killing a lot of people you get these little points, and at 20,000, Snake physically changes. His horn, his shrapnel, his head... Oh, good, so it's got a fable component. Kind of. Basically, Snake's shrapnel, his head will grow like a demon horn, and if you get bad enough, he's covered in blood at all times. It's, it's disgusting. No matter how many times you shower. You got it. No matter how many times you look like the Antichrist. Blood, or, uh, actually, quiet doesn't know if it's like that, too. These bases, you can break into it. Once you are broken into someone's base, it notifies you that they have an intruder, and they show up, They've got soldiers guarding everything. You've got to quietly work your way through all the base platforms to get to the main base to get to a certain door. And the door will be closed if the alarms are going off. What happens basically is if someone breaks into my base, I go quickly to my own place and I'm trying to find them. And what I'm doing is I'm, I'm, um, I'll be using um, some of the Myostin, I believe is what it's called. Uh, Myostatosin or whatever it is. It's, it's the one that allows you to see movement through walls. If you can find them, you can tag them so you always know where they're at. And like one or two sniper shots, you bury them. Huh. Um, but some guys are very, very, very good at getting in and getting out quickly without you being able to do much. And it's a lot of fun, kind of cat and mouse, and you can create alliances. So say your buddy's not online, because your bases can be attacked when you're not there. I have to go turn off the online component. Yes, so that's the part. There was a huge outrage with it, but I mean, most of your stuff is protected, but it is part of the game. See, my buddy gets notified, hey, you're, you know, one of your buds is getting attacked. You go there. If you can take that guy out, you get a crap ton of GMP, gross military product, which is the money in the game, as well as resources, as well as high-ranking soldiers. I think one of the missions I did, and I helped somebody out, I got 20 s rank. I mean, this, these, these help you build your base pretty quickly. And it's, it's, man, it's super cutthroat because if that guy comes in and he steals your shit, you're like, oh, 
fucker, I'm totally going to go back to your place because it lets you know who it was and you can get there huh. just to go raid his stuff, just for fun. Awesome. What an interesting component. I didn't even know existed. Oh, yeah. They're the online component. The online, actually, multiplayer is not that great because the mechanics aren't really geared for a good multiplayer game. But because of the size of the game, because of the mission structure, and because how long it takes to unlock certain things, there's a ton of replay value. And you can approach certain areas in a thousand different ways. You can you want to try the stealth area one way? Great. If you want to try something else the next time, super duper. Like Scott Bullard, my good buddy. Hopefully you're listening to this, Scott. One of the greatest moments ever. He Scott is very, very good at stealth games. I am not. I'm not going to lie about that. And Scott has figured out a way that he knows where all like, separated these patrols in a village are. He's going to hit one after the other, and it all has to start with a single grenade throw. So, but he's got it mapped out. It's a great plan. Scott's standing in front of a wall that's maybe mid-thigh height. Scott throws his grenade, hits the wall, goes between his, his legs, blows his penis off. Everyone's on alert, and all I can see from my vantage point on the couch is Scott's character limping his ass into a field trying to find a place he can lay down and hide. Because, <laughs> like, it's, it's, and you know what? I mean, those kinds, even those little moments where you screw up, there's still, it's brevity, and it's, it's just fun. Luring a bear into a village to do most of the work for you, pretty damn cool. Using your, your horse to take a shit somewhere to take out a tank patrol, it's, it's amazing. I mean, it's, there's so many ways to do it. And I can't wait to dive more into the game. I think I can speak for both of us on this, but I think we both highly advocate buying the game. Buy, buy the game. It is. I think that the steps to do the open world was a huge step in the right direction. It created so many different ways to play the game, and I, I, can't, I can't stress enough. Buy this game. So now that we've advocated buying this amazing game, let's jump back into our conversation about the history of Metal Gear. Uh, Sons of Liberty on the PS2, That's that was my first step into this thing, and that it was, I never played anything like it. Their attention to detail was one insane, so... They I, really I, nailed that box on the ship. It, <laughs> the, the fact that in the ship, when you're having the gunfight in the galley, and watermelons are exploding, if you shoot a sugar, there's a sugar uh, sack, flour or sugar, whatever the heck, the white, maybe it's cocaine, who knows, this is a fun <laughs> ship. Um, everyone seemed very awake. It's dripping out of the bag on the floor. I mean, the attention was insane with that. And it's, it's kind of funny because at this point, they generated a pretty good amount of fans for the game. And the snake is on the first level, you're going through the ship, which is, is an absolute blast, really cool fights throughout. It introduced first person mode. It also introduced the train gun, which is gonna wind up being a staple for the rest of the games. Interesting. I didn't realize that the trink gun didn't come in until no. Sons of Liberty. No, you were using the with the, the MCOM or whatever that thing is, is which is the, the the SOCOM. Maybe it is whatever the, whatever the handgun is. And then the tranks show up, and you play through it, and then go into um, the shell, which is where the, the main gameplay takes place, which is Big Shell, which is kind of like Outer Heaven, I guess, if you want to look at it that way. And you get introduced to Raiden, and Raiden is man. There's some serious backlash on this dude. Long hair. He's kind of got a mullet. And he's just a huge puss. And I think um, this was one of the big reveals for the game once you were playing it, that you were playing a snake, you are playing as a yeah. different character. And people are calling him Snake the whole time until he takes the mask out, and people got pissed. You played Sons of Liberty, right? I only played through the ship. I think I remember Snake jumping into the water, and then I played the final boss fight a few times with my buddy Eric, but okay, I so didn't play the bulk of the game. Okay, so the ship essentially, that, that whole area was pretty much the demo. And then the that was my entire experience with the game. Yeah, the bulk of the game, kind of the story arc with it, the, the short version of it is, they basically are putting Raiden, who we know is Raiden in the future, uh, Raiden is being put in a simulation that's virtually the same as what Snake dealt with in Metal Gear Solid, and they want to see how he deals with it. And there's some really, really interesting characters. So you're dealing with Dead Cell. Dead Cell's got Fat Man, he's a bomb expert, big fat guy on rollerblades, 
whatever. And then we had Fortune, she was a daughter of a general. There was a guy named Vamp, who was a vampire that could take a tremendous amount of damage. And then there was also, who am I missing with that group? There was one more boss that I'm missing. But anyways, interestingly enough, as well Solid as I guess, Solid Snake, if you want to go into that. As the game goes on, it created a lot more, you had a lot more diverse enemies that you're dealing with. You were at some points, you're fighting multiple Metal Gears at one time with a rocket launcher. You actually get introduced to snakes. Thank God, the true snake, the real snake, was in the game, and he was under the name of Pliskin. Now, do you know where Pliskin comes from? No idea. Okay. So, <laughs> the name Snake um, was borrowed by Kojima because Kurt Russell is the greatest actor of the 20th century. If you haven't seen Big Trouble in Little China, do yourself a favor and go rent it. I'll have to do myself a favor. Oh, my God. Maybe I'll do two I got favors after I have show. it on Blu-ray. Oh, wow. Yeah, and you can give me that favor as an offering of a disc. So Favor for a favor. I mean, that's just fair, right? Theater background. So, Snake is actually uh, based uh, off... Uh. That mic went pretty far down. <laughs> um, Snake was based off the name of John Carpenter's character of Escape from New York. Uh, Russell, uh, Kurt Russell's character, and that's where Snake comes from. And his name in that is something... Uh, it's Snake Pliskin. So, when you encounter the uh, this Mr. Pliskin gentleman in Metal Gear Solid 2, he looks just like Snake, he sounds just like Snake, because David Hayter's a badass, and his last name's Pliskin, which is kind of a cool little nod to, to some influences of Kojima. Kojima has quite the interest in popular culture, doesn't he? He does. He, I noticed in the, uh, a little bit of the research you did that there were other pop culture references, in, and I think Metal Gear Solid 2, the original version on NES, like there's a boss based on the Predator, there's a boss based on yep. a couple other pop culture figures that had to be changed in future releases. Of yeah, game. and I mean, Japan does that. I mean, look at, look at Street Fighter. If you're looking at Street Fighter, so M. Bison, that's not his name in Japan. His name is Vega in Japan. And What's Ve Vega's name in Japan? Vega's name in Japan is Balrog. And in... Um, is he on fire with big whips? No, he's not. But here's where it gets interesting. If you ever look, and you ever notice a little bit of a similarity between Balrog here in our country, or is, is to keep things simple, in, in most nomenclature it's known as just Boxer. Boxer, Dictator, and Claw. Just because their names are different. In Japan, that character's name is M. Bison. And they were very worried about getting their asses sued by this high-voiced man named Mike Tyson. So, sometimes Japan does that. And if you didn't know, that's why all three of those names got switched in an effort to avoid a lawsuit. Interesting. Wow, fascinating. I never, I had no idea. Yeah, that's really common in the in fighting community. That's one of the, the funny little things about Street Fighter. But Japan borrows things, and, and that's okay. So... I wonder if their copyright laws are different in their country. If they're allowed to borrow from their own culture more than if... I know in certain countries, like, I think maybe Germany's one of them, like, copyright laws don't even exist. It's, you just take whatever you want. Huh. Well, that would make this a much more interesting podcast. Uh, it, it would. I wouldn't have to sit here with you. I'd be, like, chilling with Clooney or some shit. When it, that's true. God, that man. Do you know who makes, like, 25-year-old Clooney look like hot garbage? Current Clooney. That motherfucker looks good. Those Italians, dude, they age beautifully. Well, I'm sure we will, too. We're 65 years old and still playing our PlayStation 18. Yeah, and I've still got my physique of a 17-year-old girl. So yeah, you're wearing a four-year-old shirt, so... Hey, hey, I look jacked in this thing. <laughs> you sure do. Your tattoo really popped. There we go. Well, we've already been there. Back to Metal Gear. So, Metal Gear Solid 2 kind of goes on, and, and there's definitely spots where it's, it's very, very similar to Metal Gear Solid 1, particular the torture scene and, and some other things that go on. 
And the game accumulates in a, in a big badass fight between Raiden and Solidus Snake, who actually used to be the former president of the United States. We didn't really touch base on it, but it's important to know. There's something called the, the Terrible Infants or the Terrible Children protocol or, or um, experiments. Basically, if you didn't know, Snake and Liquid, so Liquid's the main bad guy from the first one, they are, they are cloned children, pretty much, of Big Boss. Okay, Big Boss is the most badass soldier of his era, which we'll get into when we talk about Snake Eater. But basically, he had all the, Liquid had all the really good genes, Snake was supposed to have all the, all the really crappy genes, and it, it wound up being a something important because later on, you're gonna encounter Solidus, who's another member of the clone family. He's a direct clone of Big Boss. So long story short, he gets wound up getting killed. We get introduced to the concept of the Patriots. The Patriots are essentially this group of, of people that are quietly running the United States of America. And that is where we really start to move forward with more story. But uh, the last thing I'll say on it, the cutscenes in this game were insanely long in some cases. I mean, really, really long. I remember at one point, I was late for class. I was 25 minutes into a cutscene. And I, you can't save it, you can't skip it. It was just insanity. But oh, and, and the last thought process, Japan was actually really, this was kind of a progressive thought process on their point, Vamp in that game, Vamp is a gay, he's gay. Fortune, who is the woman who can like dodge bullets, her dad is a, is a general, and Vamp is his lover, which was really interesting. So we have this kind of weird paradigm where it, it's, it's a very strong, masculine, badass character, but another dude. I mean, that's for the early 2000s. That was that's pretty progressive. Yeah. So that's still Sons of Liberty. That was Sons of Liberty. The PlayStation 2. You got it. For me, I took a hiatus from Metal Gear at this point. Like, I played the ship of 2, Sons of Liberty, and I didn't play again until Metal Gear Solid 4. So what did I miss in that interim? 3? 3? Well, there are multiple versions of 3, weren't there? Or There's, there is, they keep putting out what was called a subsistence packages, and this was also done with Twin Snakes. Shigeru Miyamoto, you know what that is, right? Name's familiar. Okay, you should know who this is. His shit is all over your walls. Shigeru Miyamoto is the developer. He invented uh, Donkey Kong, Mario, Legend of Zelda. These are all things that he made. Never heard of any of them. He is, yeah. Uh, they're pretty small games. He is this just amazing, crazy dude, and who Kojima really, really respected him. And they had a lunch. And basically, I think Shigeru was like, hey, you know what? I got this GameCube. I want you to make a Metal Gear game for it. And that was enough for Kojima to make what's called Twin Snakes. Which was it was Metal Gear Solid updated with PS2 graphics, pretty much or GameCube graphics. So, and with that's kind of what they were doing. They, they would make these packages that have a little bit more extra content, kind of like what we call DLC now, but not. It was just on the disc. God bless it. And then we moved into what's called Snake Eater. Snake Eater is where things get really, really cool because this is the really the origin of Metal Gear Solid. You get introduced to Boss, or later on you become well, you get you meet Boss, and then you meet what's called Naked Snake, who becomes Big Boss. Boss is the most badass soldier ever, and what she is, is she's basically the soldier. Boss is a woman? She's a woman. She's the one that wants a training snake, and she is, she's an absolute beast. She, early in the game, she wants to break in his arm and just kicking the little shit out of him and throwing him into a river, and he, he had nothing to do to stop her. Later on, you'll find out she's a double agent, and she's an amazing soldier that winds up dying for her country in the most embarrassing, not embarrassing ways, but her, her memory is tarnished greatly due to politics, which winds up causing big boss to step away from being the good guy and really create his soldier heaven, which is outer heaven. As the story goes on, Snake winds up fighting some different kinds of guys, everyone from the pain, the sorrow, the fury. This is actually one of the first games where you could avoid a boss fight if you want to. There's a guy called The End, he's an amazing sniper. There's a very particular scene where you can see him being wheeled into a facility. If you cap that old dude in the head, you will never have the boss fight with him. 
or if you hit the drum next to him and it blows up, dies, no more fight. You could also end him because he's really old and Kojima has a funny sense of humor. If you wait seven days on the save file between where you start that fight and then you bring it back up seven days later, he died due to old age. And you can just skip the fight. Or if you set the- That's hilarious. Yeah, I mean, how cool of an Easter egg is that? So what happens basically is, is Snake goes through a whole process and you're gonna encounter a general named Volgan, who you will see again in Metal Gear Solid Five, in case you didn't know. And it, it winds up being the process of Snake taking the mantle and becoming big boss. So he winds up killing boss in the field. And it's a, it's a beautiful scene. And this we actually get introduced to CQC in this game, which is gonna be a big component of future games. We also meet a young Revolver Ocelot. And Ocelot, for you that don't know, there's a member of this group called the Sorrow and Boss. It's his child, their child together. So he, he comes from a, a line of parents that are very interesting to the story. And he was a boss fight in Metal Gear Solid on PlayStation 1, he's, Yeah, he's, also, he's in 5. That's the same Ocelot that's your buddy. And actually, in the early portion of it, he keeps turning his wrist and he fires his, his little automatic handgun and Snake corrects him after he beats his ass and goes, you know what? movement you do right there that's more of a revolver technique and there we go from there but it introduced a lot of things you actually have to heal yourself in the battlefield you get injured you have to put on tourniquets you have to fix broken bones set them or it would hurt you you had a stamina meter you had to eat you had to you had to either kill snakes or kill um different kinds of crocodiles things like that and eat them to keep your stamina up as the game went on i think that was a trend in gaming at the time wasn't this was about the time well where did this come out in relation to Grand Theft Auto San Andreas, where you had to do things to keep your character fit? And this, I think, this was before San Andreas. San Andreas was funny because, like, you just go to the gym because everyone wanted to be that super jacked guy, you just looked like freaking Arnold running around uh, San Andreas. I never played it, but I would have done nothing but eat hamburgers. It, it, I would have been this big chunk. Dude, there's a lot of people that it's pretty much the adventures of of criminal Fat Albert. It's pretty much fun. It, it was an interesting concept. We had to pay a lot more attention to different things. But again, it, it almost was, brought it to a level of a simulation, it sounds like. We had all these different yeah. variables that you had to manage. Yeah, and you wind up actually having, I mean, this this sets the this game is the one that sets the base for the Patriots. Because the Patriots was actually created by Boss and some other different folks. And um, it winds up, they, these guys wind up being future issues. And Eva's in it too, which Eva is, winds up being a, a lifelong, she winds up in four. That's the chick on the motorcycle that you meet. With the 90-year-old granny cleavage, which God knows that's needed in the game. <laughs> so... Gravity apparently doesn't work on Eva. But yeah, that's set the basis for a lot of different characters, and it, it starts the importance of Big Boss moving away from, from being a hero and becoming just kind of another entity because he, could not, he couldn't handle the political realm. And that's what pushes him to create that soldier ref refuge, the Diamond Dogs. All that's created from the moments in this game. So it sounds like Metal Gear Solid on the PlayStation 1 was kind of the revolutionary groundbreaking game, whereas... I don't know how to classify Sons of Liberty, but with Substance, mm -hmm. the game we're talking about now, it sort of it sounds like the launching pad for Snake the last Eater. So it's Snake Eater. Snake Eater. Yeah. It sounds like the launching pad for the more recent games. But two is a progressive step in the right way. I mean, it, it introduced more characters. It, it flushed out a lot more detailed steps. You could finally use first-person mode. That was never done prior to that. So it was steps in the right direction. And and two was very well received. Three was very well received, and then four. I mean, four, they completely changed how the game even operates. That, you could become a run-and-gun game if you wanted to. And that's how I got through four. What was the title on four? It was Sons of Liberty? Uh, gu no, um, Guns of the Patriots. Guns of the Patriots. Where the hell did I get Sons of Liberty? Sons of Liberty is... Two Sons of Liberty. So Guns of the Patriots. I'll jump back in here on um, PlayStation 3, mm -hmm. because I knew that it was a very cinematic game. 
God, those cutscenes were epically oh, long. Oh man, I frankly I hated the game. Uh, it got to be too much at points. Yeah, like the cutscenes, they were really well done. Like it was, you know, movie quality cutscenes, but it was like it was more movie than it was game. Mm-hmm. And I didn't even like the gameplay that much. Like I'd try to be sneaky and inevitably get caught, and then I just Every have time. to mow people down. So Every time, and it, it frustrated the hell out of me. It, was, it felt like a stealth game where you couldn't sneak, and it was just and you and you you could, but it took a skill set that I'm not I'm not interested in honing. Like crawling underneath. Not interested. Yeah. Like I don't mind in five. I don't mind crouching, hiding behind stuff, moving here and there, crawling when I have to. But mm-hmm. I thought four was just not. Fun. Four was interesting because it was pretty much universally acclaimed. I mean, everybody thought it was maybe like the greatest game ever. Everybody, which was wild. It was the first time you could take a shoot now, ask questions later approach game, which is interesting because say in like Snake Eater, when you fight the Sorrow, the Sorrow is a dead member of this mercenary group. The Sorrow, in his fight, you are wading through a river. Every character, every every player, every every enemy you killed during the game up to that point. Its body is coming down the river towards you, walking towards you, oh and it can, it, wild. it can kill you. So fortunately for me, because I love the Trank gun, because you could make people put their faces in each other's butts, because I'm 12. Um, oh, look at this guy, he's totally eating out his tush. Um, <laughs> like, because of that, I fell in love with the Trank gun. I, I how do you end up as a doctor and not a poet? You would be amazed at how long I could sit in one spot listening to punk rock music and studying. It would blow your gourd. Um, but... As you're walking down this river, I, I encountered like three guys because I tranked everybody. I'm like, this is the stupidest boss fight ever. And I'm watching other people play. I'm like, Jesus, thank God, because it looks like the freaking Thanksgiving Day parade coming out of Garfield balloon coming at you. Hey, that balloon had it coming. It did. Uh, John Arbuckle, I love that dude. He's so depressing. So four, I mean, four, I, you could really push it. And I mean, it was a lot about the guns and you could, you could finally have a lot of different guns and you could call upon these guns relatively quickly. And some of the boss fights are really cool. I mean, look at, look at um, was it Camouflage Octopus? I can't remember. Was it one of the chicks? Yeah. you fought like four hot chicks, right? Yep. They're, I can't remember the name of their, their squadron, but yeah, the, there's the, the one that flew. There was the one that basically had Oh God, the one that flew was such a pain in the ass. You use the real gun, you can drop her in two hits. I did not use the real gun. Yeah, the real gun you would get after your first playthrough, but you could drop her in two. The octopus was an awesome fight because basically you're walking through a small medical hospital and she will she will mimic objects in the room. So you'll walk into a room and go, hey, look, that skeleton is on the wrong side of the room. You put a dart to its head, it gets mad, laughs at you, giggles, runs away, and you're like, shit, this is kind of cool. And and that had the active camel system, which was kind of neat. Because in three... In, I can't remember the active co- camel. When you, me. when you leaned against a, a surface you would change to that surface. Now that was actually built off of Snake Eater where you had to actively change your camo. Huh. And for the life of me, I have no idea because it was all done by percents, like 65% camo or whatever it is. And I had no idea at what point it couldn't be seen, but you would have to continuously change actively yourself the camo. Oh, that you sounds so tedious. It was, it was depending. Most of the time, if you changed into a new camo in a certain area, that would last a while, but some scenes it was a lot of changing really fast. Active camo took away that, which was nice. But I remember that was, was that a, that was a two-disc game, wasn't it, on the PS3? I It might have been, wasn't it? I don't recall. One or two. I, I don't recall having any game. multi-disc games on the PS3. I just remember that thing was, uh, that was a massive, massive game. And I, I enjoyed it. I thought the boss fight at the very end was super nostalgic because clearly an influence going on with Kojima is the old Bond films. He really like Ian Fleming, man. I mean, like, the song Snake Eater, for God's sake, sounded like we were talking about Skyfall. And um, before Skyfall was Skyfall. And the end fight is you versus Liquid Ocelot. So at this point, 
liquid's arm had been attached to... Is there a difference between the ocelots? Is there, like, solid ocelot, liquid no, ocelot? No, there, there's one ocelot, and, and what happened was he wound up losing his arm to a gray fox, cutting his arm off, and I think it was Munger's solid, and he winds up attaching liquid's arm, and a weird reaction to the arm is basically the thing has consciousness, and it can force itself into him. Um, and the end fight is you versus Ocelot on top of this building, and there's four stages to the fight. It's all hand-to-hand combat. Big pain in the ass. It is. It it's is. very challenging. It is. And, and in the first round, you can only use moves from Metal Gear Solid 1, and it has a Metal Gear Solid 1 spar, so it's only jabs and punches. Uh, and then the second one, I think it's similar to Sons of Liberty. In the three, you could find. In the third stage, you could finally use um, uh, CQC, which was awesome. And then it would it would basically accumulate with with Snake just punching the brain of of Ocelot and knocking him out. Maybe we should have clarified this earlier, but CQC is close quarters combat. Yeah, so that's that was adopted in three, and basically it's it's a form of combat using a handgun and a knife and a lot of chokeholds and grabs, and it kind of opened up a lot of gameplay. In three, it was way too powerful; you could use it for anything. Got a little bit better in four. I remember um, using it quite a bit in four. I can't remember to what end. The best things you can do is you can grab, choke people out, so it's a non it's a non lethal way to kill people, but you could also use it to hold someone hostage and aim over their shoulders to get a human shield, which is very, very useful. In three it was almost too powerful. But in once we get into four, you know, you, you've beaten Ocelot, game over, and, and Snake at this point, by the way, in four Snake you're playing as old Snake, which was not actually taking quite well. Snake this is nine years after the events of Metal Solid 1. This is five years after the events of Metal Solid 2. And Snake has a genetic trigger in him to make him grow old really, really fast. And if you haven't played 4, it basically ends with Big Boss himself showing up. And Snake has something called Fox Dive. For those of you that remember, it's the poison that kills you. And Boss being in Snake's perimeter winds up killing him. But he dies, I think, leaning against, I think it's Boss's, boss's tombstone. Beautiful thing. And then once we move into five here, five is where you get to be big boss. And it's so bad. Metal Gear has been kind of a wild ride. Yeah. It's interesting just talking about it with you and your experience and your vast research for this podcast. I think it can be intimidating for new players to jump in at this point because there's so much history. There's so many It things. takes a bit to read on it. Like that retrospective I sent you, what is that, two hours? Two hours long. We'll post that on the website, outsideisoverrated.com. And that's People not even check four. <laughs> yeah, that's crazy. But it's a great look back at the Metal Gear games and uh, Kojima's history and how it all kind of came together and played out. And it's yeah. really a fascinating video. Yeah, rest in peace game trailers, man. So I guess to wrap up our Metal Gear segment, if somebody has never played a Metal Gear game, where should they jump in at? Three is probably a good spot to start. You're going to notice there's certain mechanics that are... And this is on PlayStation 2. It's a PlayStation exclusive title. It's two, and there is an HD remake of it. I think there's an HD remake on PS3. So I don't play a lot of Xbox. I would imagine it's probably on Xbox 362. When it came to... There's mechanics that you can tell that we're getting old in 3, but that's a good place to start because a lot of the mechanics that you're going to use in the future wind up popping up there, and you're going to have trouble with the controls. I'm not lying to you. It's, there's there's some, some things that they do that are just they're not intuitive. Are they as bad as the tank controls in Resident Evil? No, I didn't. I wouldn't. I I could not play Metal Gear Solid or Metal Gear. I could not play Resident Evil 2 because of those controls. Forced perspective, and the fact that I could not figure out what the frick way I was aiming. Screw it. Yeah, great game. Lost to history because it sucks to play. Yeah, it doesn't hold up anymore. It's and there's there's games that are like that that when you play them at that time, it's it's seriously like dating someone sometimes. Where at the time that you guys meet each other, it is it's perfect. Who you are and who they are, it it's just it works. And as time goes by, you change, they change, and 
and you come back and you revisit some of these things and you look at some of these old gaming experiences and you're like, Jesus Christ, look at this shit show. Like trying to play, back in the day, I was trying to play Conker's. Um, they did the HD remix. What the hell is Conker's? Conker's Bad for a Day. So Conker was that rare game where it was supposed to be a kitty game and it wound up being pretty much dick and poop jokes the entire time. It sounds like my, uh, my would, skate of game. You would love it. It's you in squirrel form. But like playing this thing. I think I'm already in squirrel form, right? This, I mean, these things came out. I've lived my life in squirrel form. Oh, you got the hair for it. Uh, these things came out in like 2000, but even now they're archaic. It's just, it's just changing as time goes. So if somebody jumps in and plays Metal Gear Solid Five, Phantom Pain is the first Metal Gear game they have ever played. Being grown-ups and knowing the time constraints that are placed on our gaming right now, would you advise going back and playing any of the old Metal Gears, or do you think I I would play three? <clears throat> I mean, if, if you three, you can do fairly quickly. Four, you can do fairly quickly. Now, the, I mean, the gameplay in these games is fast. It's the cutscenes you got to get through. So, if you're not all that interested in the history and watching the cutscenes, maybe just, skip them all together. Yeah, just, like, just jump them. But I'd say skip four altogether. It, I played it. The cutscenes are beautiful, but if you're not that interested in watching an interactive experience, I'd yeah. say play five. If you want to, play three and just be excited for the next one, even though it's not going to be a Kojima game with as amazing as five is. I can't imagine it'll be a huge letdown in the next two. No, and, and five, the cool, so, thing about, the cool thing about five, I mean, you can do it in bite-sized pieces. This is for someone who has a busy life because it's done in small chapters and there's small little side missions. So if you've got 20 minutes, you can get some things done. That's that's kind of nice. So there you have it. There's all things Metal Gear. I know we're a bit over at this point, but this has been a fascinating and interesting <laughs> conversation. Uh, Drug us down a couple of rabbit holes. Oh, there's your tattoo poking out. It's on your bicep, by the way, which is, um, I'm not sure how to react to that. I have a second tattoo. It's, it's two men making love on my chest because it's important for me to know that people know I'm a lover, not a fighter. I'm the pitcher in that tattoo, right? Oh, it is. It's yeah, a I'm sweet the pitcher, the You're a big spoon, by the way. Yeah. You, do, you do look like my dad, so that's important to me. And I've got daddy issues, so here yeah. we are. We've got a great tradition of answering fan mail on the show. If you have a question or comment that you'd like to send in, you can reach us again at overratedpod at gmail.com. That's overratedpod at gmail.com. Overrated has two R's. I'm pretty sure that's the right way to spell it. Whether it is or not, we committed to it. So <laughs> send your messages in there, or you can catch me on Twitter at Tom underscore underscore awesome. But here's what we got for our fan mail today, Brian. First off, we had P. Diddy writing in through email. He asks... Have you guys ever played tabletop games as or with stealth-focused characters? How did it work out? It's usually a lot of fun. You do have to kind of change how you think, because I mean a lot of us when we play these kinds of games, we're some, what, cleric, wizard, fighter. Is that pretty much generally it? Um, well, it is in the terms of D&D. I have a specific occurrence in the Shadowrun world. Have you ever played Shadowrun? Uh, I know a little bit about Shadowrun. Oh man, I love Shadowrun. I love the setting. I love all of that. But we were playing with some high school buddies and one of us made this character that A was a woman and a group full of guys playing. You know, you're going to get teased for that. It's a bold move, Cotton. It's a bold move, Cotton. <laughs> but they were the only stealth-focused character. They were the only person with computer skills. And in the world of Shadowrun, that made them essentially the only useful character. The yeah, rest of us were Computer like, skills are, like, massive in that game, aren't they? They are. And the rest of us were, like, these fighters. We had different martial or gun abilities or I was a rigger and could control a bunch of robots. Like, this character would be off basically doing the mission for us while the rest of us would be standing around with our dicks in our hands waiting for something to happen. It wound up creating a lot of tension because, like, we'd get bored. It's like five-person party, one person's doing the mission, the rest of us are like, well, what do we do? And so, like, we'd pick fights or we'd do other things <laughs> to draw unneeded attention to us. And it created so much friction. Particularly, there was one mission that stands out in my mind. We were tasked with breaking into some digital thing and stealing something. And uh, because of my lack of patience, I picked a fight and things started to go south. I'm like, whoa. Well, 
Pat's character is in there doing this mission, but I don't know if it's going to work out. So we better go collect the reward right now before the Johnson figures <laughs> out that maybe it didn't work He's out. He's sideways on us. Yeah, so we left. We just left him <laughs> trying to complete the mission, and whether he completes it or not, we're trying to get the reward for it. Team play. Team play. So in my experience, stealth-based characters don't often tra- translate well to a tabletop setting. It, it can be it, it can be tough. I mean, say like D&D, where a heavy amount of my background is, it can be difficult too because in a lot of cases they have to tumble through certain areas. And, and tumbling itself inherently has some risk. You have to roll on tumbles, I believe. And you did in 3 and 3.5. I don't think you have to in 5. No. And it's the part that's so difficult is when these guys get into position and they hit, they, they obliterate things. The problem is is that it is, it is literally a glass cannon mentality because if they have to take a shot, they turn to freaking dust. I mean, they just, they can't survive anything. Sometimes it works out really well, but I mean, if you have to do a lot of rolls to be acrobatic in getting to a certain position, just it leaves a lot of room for error. That's the problem. So I think here's my summary. If you have a self-based character in especially a tabletop game setting, I think it's going to be hard for the party because either it's going to be fighting where all the fighting people are good or it's going to be a stealth segment where only the stealth. It forces you to split the party and I think that leads to chaos. So P. Diddy, to answer your question, it doesn't work out well, don't do it. It, it, it can work, but the only battle don't is, do it. is that the party... I think the party has to actively work to find ways to make that character useful. You have to put them in a position to succeed, and that's just difficult to do. Don't be so selfish, P. Diddy. Yeah, don't be so You're selfish. You're in your baggy-ass, shitty pants. Yeah. I didn't know his pants are shitty. Because P. Diddy, he sings songs. Oh, fair enough. Uh, Casey the Cairo, who also wrote in for the first episode, hit us up on Twitter. He asks, slash says, OMG. How much do you guys like cat videos? Honest to God, when my wife can't sleep, we just sit and watch cat videos. To be honest, I think it's fantastic. Cats cats are like women. Maybe that's why why I have two of them. Um, I grew up with sisters. You so have two cats or two women? I have two cats. I can barely handle one woman. The key with her is to keep her self-esteem low so she's controllable. The battle with... Oh my. <laughs> the battle with cats, like cats are just these weird things because... I never advocate, don't, you don't want to kick a dog, but you can kick a dog and it'll probably forgive you over time. You kick a cat, it will it will undermine you the rest of your life. It will piss on your on your shit. I mean, they're just horrible little animals. It'll piss on your shit, Ryan? No, uh, it does. They're very, they, they like to keep... Like while you're still in the act, so like you're sitting on the toilet and the cat has to bust in. And... Look, they like to keep things clean. That's, that's very honest and they want to make sure they pile it all in one place. In the words of, of Fry... Um, oh, I've been in an animal, or what, when he's in the cage, and he's referring to, oh, I've been having to, to pee and poop or I sleep like an animal. And they're like, why don't you use the corner like the, like the animals do? The corner? Why didn't I think of that? It's, it's the same mentality. So, in summary? Cat videos are great. Cat videos are great. Try not to poop or your cat's pee. Thanks for writing in, guys. It gives us something interesting to talk about. Uh, it's been a lot of fun having you on, Brian. In the next episode, we're going to be back with Jake. We're going to be arguing about the best dork movie ever. We're both big cinema fans, so that should be a lot of fun. If you want to participate or have your voice heard or be a part of the show, you can reach us. Well, first, check out the website at outsideisoverrated.com, which works great on a mobile device. You can also reach us at overratedpod at gmail.com. That's overratedpod at gmail.com. Or hit me up on Twitter at twitter.com slash Tom underscore underscore awesome. Don't forget two underscores. So there we have it. That's the Metal Gear Solid episode. Brian, thanks so much for joining us. We look forward to having you on again. Awesome, man. This was actually a lot of fun. I mean, Metal Gear was just a fun conversation just because so many of the core concepts they use wind up 
proliferating through so many different genres. I mean, they it's it's pretty clear that Kojima had a vision and he saw where things were going, and he was so far ahead of everybody else when he started laying down the groundwork. What do you think would be a good video game topic for us to tackle next? Oh man, I think. I, honestly, I think maybe we should start looking at games that are like Nintendo hard. Like, what are those games that you slog through? Like, hey, we get that nowadays uh, we, we have series that are known for being difficult. Um, Dark Souls, for example. There are, like, say, old school Nintendo games or, or, or some of these games in the past. What are games that are really hard that you slog your ass through, even against your better judgment? That might be a very fun topic oh for you to God. tackle with Jake. I know he's a big retro gamer. Oh. I think we can have a very fun conversation. Uh, any other suggestions are welcome to the email or the Twitter feed. And Brian, we'll have you on again, hopefully within a couple of weeks here. Thanks so much for joining oh, us. Oh man, Tom, thanks for the good time. I'll catch you guys later. Yeah, and remember, stay inside, because outside is overrated.